You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a podcast from Minute Media. When dad is away, the boys will play. It's another two-man booth of pod like a raven! Sorry for blowing out your ears there early. Uh, My name is Tim Horsey. First, we had Jace Evans leave the podcast temporarily. Now, Antonio Bandera. Bandera, Barbera, is gallivanting across the streets of Italy and the beaches of Italy, as he, if you follow him on Twitter, you'll see. I'm Tim Horsey, like I said, the only one who apparently cares about this podcast, but I am joined today <laughs> by my man on the West Coast, Jace Evans. Jace, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, Tim. I, uh, it truly feels like I have not done this. I think it's been over a month, so... Uh, you know, for a peek behind the curtain, it's late at night. Uh, for for Tim there, I think that's uh, the Bandera <laughs> comments coming yeah. from. But uh, yeah, I'm excited. It's great to be back. Um, we are like I feel like sneakily closer to real football things that matter than you realize. We're in June now. Training camp is just a month away. It feels like we're in the wilderness still, but we're closing in. We're closing in fast. It's very exciting, and uh, yeah, it's good to be back. Yeah, I would say it's going to be a shorter episode, but that's not usually how it goes, especially with you and I. So not a ton to talk about. We're, we're going to talk about Sam Cook retiring. We're going to talk about Kyle Fuller. We're going to bring up Lamar Jackson not being at OTAs, as everybody has to do, and a couple other things, including in the second half, a best-case, worst-case scenario for a couple of different players, topics around the team uh, that we realistically think are, you know, what are the peaks and valleys of these said things? And we'll get to that later in the show after the Random Raven, of course. Uh, but first, Jace, because Antonio's not here, let's talk about how terrible PlayStation State of Play was. No, I'm <laughs> kidding, I'm kidding. We're not going to do that. But, but it was tr- truly awful last week. Let's talk about a man who, if you've been listening to us three ramble about the Ravens for a very long time, has kind of been a central figure and has been a central figure in Ravens fans' hearts for a long time. It's the bunter, Sam Cook. This happened a while ago, but as Jay said, you know, he hasn't been here in a while, but we really haven't done a podcast in a, in a couple of weeks here. So this happened since 16 years with the Baltimore Ravens. The University Nebraska product is finally retired. We kind of saw it coming uh, with the drafting of Jordan Stout. But Jace, your initial impressions of Sam Cook finally leaving the Ravens. 
Yeah, I, I will say this made me uh, more emotional. I think that I was anticipating, you know, I think we've credited them over the years. The Ravens video department has done a great job in recent seasons. And I think the Sam Cooke retirement video and uh, some of the things they subsequently did with him were, were just really touching. And some of the watching the comments from his teammates and stuff, that, that, that was cool. So, I, you know, it... it it's funny because he's one of these guys, you know, the punter's mostly in the background uh, <laughs> if he's doing his job correctly. But like you said, I mean, he's the longest, he, no player in Ravens history has played more games than Sam Cooke. Um, you know, 16 seasons, he only missed one game ever and it was due to COVID. He was just always there and he was great. Uh, you know, pretty much, I think, up until that last season, I, I don't... I'm not going to say I'm stunned by the retirement, certainly. I think we all saw the writing on the wall. We talked about on the show how he was probably going to get cut uh, after they drafted Jordan Stout. Um, so I'm not surprised by that, but it was still sad to see him retire. But I'm very glad that even though it kind of seems like the Ravens sort of push, push, forced his hand into retirement a bit, it kind of a little bit, it seemed like, based on the comments. But I'm glad, like, he is retiring on a good note with the team and is sticking with the organization as well in a consultant capacity. Um, so I like that he's still around. He was great at what he did for a long time. And, yeah, I hope he missed because, you know, that level of consistency at what is really a secretly central, important position for an NFL team, you know. He, he did his job really well for a really long time and uh, was a leader in many ways on this team. So, yeah, it's definitely sad. And, especially, uh, sad to see especially for a team that, uh, you know, what, let's say generously 10 out of the 16 years was horrific on offense. So you needed that field positioning. And Sam Cook, as, as we joked back in our college days, best player in the league was always so good at putting that team in a position to win. Um, you know, funny, I, I've always, like many people, have had a soft spot for Sam Cook, uh, And it's interesting hearing the testimonials about him afterwards, you know, widely considered one of the better athletes on the team, even though most of the time you make fun of punters. This all comes from Jeff Zarebeck's piece in The Athletic. You know, Jerry Rossberg, who was their longtime special teams coordinator, said that nobody was ever a better holder in the history of the NFL than Sam Cook, which it sounds funny to joke about, but is, is a real thing. Um, and then Cook too, like you said, was a bomber back in his day, you know, was, was killing the ball and, and was really good at anywhere on the field would put that thing inside the 20. And then later in his career and maybe not, not even towards the very end. Cause I think, you know, I think you're right. I think especially last year, we could kind of tell that the writing was on the wall. He had diminished a little bit as well. But a lot of punters, you listen to Pat McAfee, I listen to the Pat McAfee show a lot, and he even attributed, you know, they call it like cook left, cook right, some of the cross-body <laughs> kicks that he would do to throw off punt returners because you have to deal with guys like Antonio Brown and Josh Cribbs, formerly with the Browns and stuff like that. So really inventive in the punting game, which is not something that gets talked about enough. Uh, punters are people too for the brand, all that fun stuff as well. <laughs> and I'm, I'm with you too, Jace. Like it's – it's it's really good to see him, one, with the organization still, which I think is great for a rookie like Jordan Stout, and two, a guy that, um, you know, goes out on the right terms, like you said. I think that's so important, and it's, 
it's one of those things that just reverberates throughout the league. You know, you talk about Anquan Bolden said he wanted to retire a Raven, even though he spent most of his years with the Cardinals. You've heard it. Steve Smith, the same thing, I believe. And maybe, I believe both of them said it. Maybe it was just one of them. But one of those pre, like, preeminent, dominant wide receivers with another team wanted to retire a Raven because of the way the organization treats them. And it's just always good to hear that, um, that they kind of, they really value loyalty. And it's something that in a business that is, a business uh, <laughs> you don't you don't get to see a lot. So much respect to Sam Cook. You know he he lives in Westminster where my parents live. So maybe I'll see him driving around dealing with his truck sometimes. And uh, <laughs> I do love there was one story when Morgan Cox was a rookie in the league. Uh, Cook hit him in the back of the head with a ball, like kicked it in the back of his head because he was like, "Hey, you need to snap the ball quicker. Let's go." Just that fiery competitor punter, uh, which is good to see. So all the best to him obviously, as he goes on uh, to continue with the game. And we'll see what happens with, with Jordan Stout. You know, it could be a hopefully smooth transition, maybe something that could be detrimental for the Ravens, but we'll get into our, our pessimist talks later. Let's get into some other news here. That happened, uh, it happened obviously, a, a couple weeks ago, I think officially last week as well, and that's the hometown boy coming back to Baltimore. Shout out Mount St. Joe, where my dad went to high school. Uh, Kyle Fuller, the cornerback formerly of the Bears, uh, I'd spent last season with the Broncos. He spent his first six years in Chicago. He was a pro bowler in the 2018-19 season, uh, 19 career interceptions, broken up 86 passes. He led the league in interceptions, uh, with seven and passes defended in 21, uh, with 21, excuse me, in 2018 as a member of the bears struggled a little bit in Denver, uh, tried to play some slot corner. It didn't really work out. He kind of fought his way back into the starting lineup towards the back end of the season, uh, but seems like more of an outside option here, but but a good depth piece. Only $2.5 million against the cap on a one-year deal, Jace. What do you make to the Kyle Fuller signing? Because I've seen some people, you know, either typical Ravens, bargain bin, and some people being like, well, let's maybe let's just not praise every veteran that the Ravens signed. Maybe this, this could be... Maybe not a piece of a Brandon Carr, as it were. <laughs> so the numbers definitely concern me a little bit. I will say, like it's hard, it's hard to look at what he did last year, which was you know largely get lit up by advanced metrics more or less, and be too excited. But I will say I like the signing for the Ravens. A, the price is great, and the other reason I like it is because I you know we saw what happened last year. I think there's still value in having. Guys who have played NFL snaps uh, that know what to do on the field. Um, every year, this seems to be a problem with injuries with this defensive back core. And I think just adding experience depth there is really important because, yeah, like, no, we you know, we've mentioned the guys, your Robert Jacksons, your, your, your Tolliver was, I don't even remember his first name, but, you know. Let's just go Fuller. Kevin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are a lot of Kevins. John, James, <laughs> something. So. So, yeah, I, I, you know, they had, like, literal practice squad guys. That game where Burrow threw 500 yards against them late in the season. Literal practice squad guys. Um, Kyle Fuller is not that. He's an experienced veteran, knows what to do. And I think, you know, they're not going to be relying on him that much in a perfect world. Uh, you know, best case scenario. <laughs> to sort of tease out what we talked about last year. But, uh, or uh, earlier. But, um yeah, so I like it from that perspective. I, I just like having the experience at a, a position that seems to get tested every year with the Ravens. So I'm fine with it. I know, like, you know, I'm not going to expect 2018 Kyle Fuller to show up. But 
I think he's better than other reserve options they had. Uh, and I think that's the reason they made the move. I mean, look at it. it you know, the, it says in, last season was a challenging season, but he still started 10 games for the Broncos, you know? And, and yeah, Patrick Sertan was on the other side, and Sertan has already kind of become a lockdown guy for them. So Fuller's going to get picked on, and that kind of happens. You look at Anthony Everett, who I thought, you know, was stronger than a lot of people would give him credit for. But a lot of the time it's because for – you know, until everybody got hurt, he was being picked on because Marlon Humphrey and or Marcus Peters was on the other side. So I can kind of see it. And, you know, it could be an optimist thing. You hope it's not the wheels have completely fallen off. I think there's probably going to be some sort of median with him here. But look at this depth, too. I mean, DaCosta clearly has said this before. And and Harbaugh has said with this signing, it seems like their secondary is complete. And let's just look at the guys. I'm not even going to put it in your Geno Stones and your Robert Jacksons and your Kevon Seymours. Guys who, you know, not to be mean, we don't want to see the field. Let's start with the corners. You have Marcus Peters. You have Kyle Fuller. You have Brandon Stevens, who can play kind of in a hybrid role as safety. Marlon Humphrey, obviously. And then the rookies, Darmian Williams and Jalen Armour Davis. One, this takes pressure off of the – oh, and I should say the safeties too. Let's go here. Obviously, Kyle Hamilton, the first-round pick. Chuck Clark, Marcus Williams, the big signing. And Tony Jefferson. You have four incredible safeties with Brandon Stevens kind of being that hybrid guy that can play both. With this signing for me, we've seen – and you, you Benjamin Solak is one of them from the ringer, and you see a lot of these quote-unquote smart football guys, and I don't mean that as a joke. I mean these guys who are literally <laughs> all they do and savants at this stuff breaking down the tape – they say that one thing you see in college that's probably going to make their way to the NFL, and there's a lot of people that were praising the Ravens for the Hamilton pick, is three safeties. Is a three-deep safety set with a couple more corners in there. So think about this in a, in a secondary in a secondary that you can play. If you have three safeties, if Chuck Clark is still on this team, that's still to be determined. Chuck Clark, Kyle Hamilton, and Marcus Williams. You have uh, Hamilton and Chuck Clark kind of rotating around, like hawking around the, uh, the, the line. Marcus Williams is your free safety Ed Reed type. And then with your corners, you can play any one, any combo of Marcus Peters, Marlon Humphrey, and Kyle Fuller. Maybe you put Brandon Stevens in there if you want a little bit, a little bit more size. And you don't have to put so much pressure on the, the two rookies, Jalen Armour Davis and Dar, uh, Demarion Williams, who by all accounts, Armour Davis is looking great in camp. Take that with a grain of salt. <laughs> uh, but they don't need to start right away. And I think I think the injuries thing you nailed, but for me, it's also that these rookies can kind of bet into the team a little bit. Remember, these are still fourth round picks. I know they came from the SEC, but that you know it's still a a whole different kettle of sharks when you're up here in the NFL. I just I love the options that they continue to give Mike McDonald on the back end, and I think we're gonna see. We're going to see more of Marlon Humphrey in the slot where he excels. And you can put Kyle Fuller on the outside against the number two receiver when Marcus Peters is on the number one. Now, with all of this, too, I'm talking about the rookies. It also gives you time to ease Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters back. As far as I've seen, Marcus Peters still isn't practicing yet. Marlon Humphrey is. But maybe he's not ready week one. You have a proven veteran starter to play on the outside if you need it. So I think, I think good move overall. For the Ravens here uh, with with Fuller. Um, one one other defensive signing. If you have anything more on Fuller, uh, obviously feel free to add it in here, Jace. But Brent Urban is back. If you don't remember <laughs> Brent Urban, I don't blame you. Uh, he was a defensive lineman, oft injured. He spent some years in Dallas. I'm, I'm, to be honest, I'm not sure if he spent any time anywhere else. 
Frankly, I'm doing I'm leading this show, and I didn't do enough research on Brent Urban because I frankly don't think it's that big of a signing. Uh, he is 31 right now. For me, I'll just go first here, Jace. I think the big thing with him is it's just depth, 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 depth. And it's a doesn't seem like Derek Wolf is going to be on this team post June or July 1st, whatever, the, or July 1st, excuse me. Uh, it might be June now, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. Whatever that that deadline is where he doesn't cost against the uh, compensatory picks and what have you. Derek Wolf kind of is nowhere to be found, and they don't really know how healthy he is, and, and mum is the word on him, so maybe Urban just slots in as kind of that rotational piece with a, with a line that includes right now, obviously, Justin Matabuke, Calais Campbell, Michael Pierce, Travis Jones, Broderick Washington is kind of your, your five-man rotation across that front three. Yeah, the Wolf thing's really interesting. Just the the all the dialogue, the official narratives, if you will, around him have been very interesting. Uh, it definitely seems like they're heading for a divorce, but with his injury, it's weird because you can't, I believe, cut a guy actively on like injured reserve or something like that. So it, it's it's a weird situation with him. I agree with you. I don't think he'll be playing for the Ravens this fall, but we'll see. Um, that being said with Brent Urban, all I have to say is, yes, it's depth, and the Ravens love their guys. Uh, there's just, it's true. I, we, you know, we've seen them bring Michael Pierce back, Tony Jefferson. They brought Josh Bynes back on two different occasions. Uh, they love certain guys, you know, Pernell McPhee they brought back. There's just guys the Ravens love. Uh, as for what Brent Urban does on the field, yeah, he's just depth. Uh, you'll be stunned to learn, Tim, he was uh, injured quite a bit last season. Uh, uh Real out of character yeah. for him. Uh, but yeah, you know, I don't... The only only memory I have of Brent Urban in his first go-around with the Ravens really was uh, he's the guy who blocked the kick that Will Hill returned in the kick Oh. Six. Well, that's Ravens, like Ravens legend then. Excuse me. Apologies. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that's Brent Urban's uh, main claim to fame in a Ravens uniform. But uh, yeah, outside of that, I don't have any real memories of him. And yeah, he was always hurt a ton and has been. So he, he did play 16 games for the Bears in 2020. And he managed 16 games with the Ravens in 2018. But otherwise, yeah, he's only played, you know, three full seasons in his career. And he's like a 10-year veteran at this point. So... Yeah, I don't expect a lot out of him. It's just the Ravens like who they like, <laughs> and they brought him back uh, once again. It is it is weird. Just when the signing happened, I was like, "What? Who? Like did that guy's still <laughs> playing in this league?" But I didn't. I forgot that he was the guy who blocked the kick. So yeah, legend in my mind to have sad Browns fans walk out of walk out of the arena like that. All right, we put this number three in our kind of Ravens oh. news and notes here, and. It's number three because, frankly, I don't think either of us wants to talk about it that much. And honestly, you know, and I'm going to play a little bit of devil's advocate, I will say. But I think this story is just getting too annoying at this point. And it's Lamar Jackson not being at OTAs. Um, Jace, I'm just going to start. Everybody knows this. If you're listening to this, Lamar Jackson is not at OTAs. The reason, which is part of my concern, is not really clear. They don't, he's not really doing the Kyler Murray holdout thing, especially because the Ravens brass have said that he's the one who doesn't want to engage in contract talks yet. So it's not like he's asking for a new deal right now. Um, we don't know if he's trying to stay healthy, which would be kind of odd for OTAs, especially. It, it all seems a little funky, but at the same time, it's just overblown that every time it's on ESPN, I, I flip the channel. So, Jace, I would say simple question, but I assume it's not going to have a simple answer. Do we care that Lamar Jackson wasn't at the start of OTAs? 
I don't, but I will say his absence, I think, does lead to just a broader Lamar conversation that I've been thinking about a lot lately. Um, because, yeah, on its surface, I don't care that he's not at OTAs, right? Uh, I have to imagine, you know, Ravens luminaries of the past. Uh, several have probably, I like, did Ray Lewis attended OTA for the last 15 years of his career? Probably no. not. Uh, I know Ed was never there for the most part. I'm sure Flacco skipped them. I don't remember. But I do think with his contract situation, like, the thing that I guess frustrates me, specifically with Lamar, it's not the the skipping of the OTAs, but it's him, like, I guess not understanding. And maybe it's because, you know, we've talked about this in the past. Lamar has some immature tendencies at times. We've talked about this when, you know, the COVID vaccine thing and the, the tweets about seemingly about Tyler Linderbaum when he got drafted or whatever. Uh, there's things we, I think we could safely say, like, we don't love that he's done. And I think for me with this whole situation, I think it's just the radio silence about everything that's so weird and that, like, it seems like he doesn't get that the reason people care that he's not there is because we have no idea what he's doing with his contract situation. Like, I think if he just said, I'm not signing a deal this year, I think this all goes away. But because he just does cryptic tweets like, can't wait to be there, and then doesn't show up and... You know, the tweet that Chris Sims, Lamar wants to be Lamar or, or, or what what have you. I'll just I'll read that out real quickly because that's yeah, part yeah. of the point here. So, I mean, it is a great tweet. <laughs> so if you don't know, uh, Chris Sims and, and Mike Florio, take it for what you will. Basically, he did this whole thing. Chris Sims did this whole thing. Brady wouldn't be missing OTAs in year four of his career. What's going on here? Blah, 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 blah. Uh, and Lamar Jackson tweeted, quote, Lamar wants to be Lamar, Chris. This part of OTAs is voluntary, my guy. I will be there. <laughs> Just not on your watch. It's probably other QBs not attending voluntary OTAs either, but since it's Lamar, it's a huge deal. That part I kind of agree with. Find something else to talk about with kind of a, we'll say, disappointed emoji face. And and he's right there. Aaron Rodgers isn't attending OTAs. Uh, you know, and I, I think to a certain degree, Lamar's an MVP. I think he deserves, you know, to operate. I mean, there's plenty of like Calais Campbell isn't there. It's pretty much everyone you would say is good on the Ravens other than Marlon Humphrey. Is and not like a Marcus things. Williams, like your new guy. Yeah. Is in. yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so in that sense, he's right. But I will say, yeah, just the thing that's annoyed me with Lamar is just the lack of any indication on his end about his con. Cause I think that's the thing, right? He can make the conversation largely go away now i think you'd have different conversations like why doesn't he want to sign a contract but the reason everyone thinks it's a big deal he's not at otas is because he hasn't said anything about his contract so you know i think if he just came out and this is what we saw flacco do he said i'm not signing the deal whatever the ravens extended to him i'm gonna play the fifth year out and he did and it worked out for him and it's gonna work out for lamar like lamar's gonna get paid i think if he just like like he i think these tweets where he, it's like he feels like he's under attack or whatever but it's kind of true. I think the media we've talked about gets extreme with Lamar. But it's also at the same time, I think he's inviting a little bit of it on himself by just, we don't know what he wants. And so then when he doesn't show up at OTAs, that's what makes it a big deal. And he seems to like, there seems to be some disconnect there. So like, that's where my frustration, I think, comes in with this whole thing. It's such a good point because, yeah, I mean, look, 
part of this is we're doing a podcast. We need to have a conversation of it. We can't just be like, oh, no, it doesn't matter and move on. <laughs> I think ultimately it doesn't matter. But I think what the point about the, the media rights, I mean, t- oh, trust me, you and I both took journalism <laughs> ethics class at the University of Maryland. I could go and do a whole, this is a whole different podcast about how <laughs> ESPN is garbage now. Like, I just cannot watch hot take after hot take and shout out professor huffman she called it a long time ago in my journalism (laughs) ethics class i'll never forget that of just like yeah this talking head stuff uh it doesn't really work and here's why and and we've seen it now it's it's frankly garbage um but i i i worry about it from a fan point of view and this is why we're here on pod like a raven we're here uh, from a fan's perspective um this this we, we all get paid to do sports media, but we don't get paid to cover the Ravens. We're doing this from a purely, as I say it all the time, purple-tinted glasses perspective uh, on this team. And I actually bought some new purple-tinted glasses. <laughs> literally, I'm just going to wear them during the podcast now. It's going to be great. Just to live the metaphor when we start live-streaming this stupid show for four I'll, people. Uh, I'll start wearing my uh, camo bu- bucket hat. Have to. Have to. I mean, we'll just go full <laughs> live reacts on Twitch and all that fun stuff. Um, I, I just think... I think it's annoying where, you know, personal experience, one of one of my good friends, and I'm sure he won't mind me naming him, but I don't have approval, so I'm not going to, uh, is a massive Ravens fan, has season tickets, the whole thing, and legitimately half joking but half serious said, if Lamar leaves and goes to Miami, I'm going to be a Dolphins fan. And it's, <laughs> and it's one of those things of, I know he would never say that because he's, he's a diehard Ravens fan, but we just don't know what the situation is. And the longer it goes on... It, it the uncertainty creeps in and it's and we talked about this over and over again it's just annoying and it comes down to the contract stuff of if you're not going to sign the contract you don't have to show up to OTAs but just say hey like not many people are there I'm not going to go rather than attacking Chris Sims for attacking you and ask about the contract I don't know if you're if it's a leverage game what have you maybe just say look I'm not signing it this year it's fine I'm going to play out the franchise tag and he has a if he doesn't get hurt which is obviously is a thing he could ride the franchise tag, ride the franchise tag again, ride the franchise tag again, and just wait for the market to explode. And because the quarterback market is only going up, and if he just wants to risk it all that way, and that's fine, but keep going that way, keep going that way, keep going that way till you finally can't get tagged anymore, and you're going to get the massive payday from the Ravens or somebody else. Good on you. I mean, at that point, I saw they were doing it. They were doing it on. on uh, I was reading some stuff, quoting some shows. They were like. At that point, if he does the three-year tag, you can estimate the market's going to be like five years, $300 million or something for quarterbacks, which is going to be insane. And maybe he wants to play it that way. And maybe from his point of view, it's not anybody else's right to hear that from him. And I, I, I understand that. But at the same time, a little bit more clarity would be, would be appreciated. Now, guys like Marlon Humphrey have said it best. And Humphrey said in an article in The Athletic, he goes, quote, if – if he's not here in training camp, that's a problem. But right now, <laughs> but right now, we don't really mind. Um, so yeah, I, I had a note in here. I, I legit had a note in here, and then I scratched it out after you started talking about how it affects the rest of the team. I don't think it affects the rest of the team too much here, because you know at least you have Huntley and Hundley, which we're not even talking about. The Ravens signed <laughs> Brett Hundley to be basically a camp arm to spin the ball out to wide receivers and stuff. But it it is a little bit like, hey man, you know. Hollywood's gone. It's Bateman, Duvernay, Prochet. Like it's it's your two new tight ends with Mark Andrews. Maybe let's get some extra work in with these guys. 
And it's the pers- and this is on un- and I will admit some of this is unfair to Lamar Jackson. But I think it's the perception of like, hey, you know, it's kind of move it or lose it with this team at this point and not showing up and then and then like you said more importantly being mums the word is the thing that it's, you know the Ravens fans are going to pucker up a little bit, if you know what I mean. Like, it's 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 a little bit squeaky bum time, as they say in in, in the old footy. Like, it's kind of – we got to hear something soon, and that's what worries me. Yeah, yeah, I'm 100% with you. Like, it, it – you know, he – chances are he'll show up in two weeks uh, or whatever the mandatory is sometime here in June, and they'll ask him about his contract, and he'll say what happens – um and all will be fine and we'll react to it on the show uh if he doesn't show up well if he doesn't show up at the mandatory minicamp then we might be doing a emergency episode (laughs) because because as marlon humphrey said that's when the fines start and that's when it gets weird um for sure so i'm just hoping it doesn't reach that point and uh he just shows up and and by all accounts, he has been putting work in. I know, I believe as Jeff Zarebeck mentioned, he's been working out in California a lot with like a, a throwing coach or whatever. And he posted a picture of him in the gym the other day. So it seems like he's putting in the work. But yeah, it's it's uh, you nailed it. It's just the perception of it. And I, I think coupled with just the lack of clarity on the situation yeah. that in today's media environment has caused this to snowball. And that's, I think, what frustrates me. And it's just going to get bigger and bigger. And even if even if I want to turn off ESPN, it's going to be there all the I time. Know. I think that's why I've been thinking about this so much. Because I have, as much as I want to not care about it, it's been, like, the number one sports thing I've been thinking about. <laughs> yeah. Like, just look. I, it's funny because I've just kind of accepted that he's not going to sign the deal. But secretly, I just want him to pen a deal. Like, I, I don't – I'm almost, just for my own anxiety, don't care how much it is at this point. <laughs> Like yeah, and with the- <laughs> smart, smart Tim, like salary cap brain Tim. Which, if you don't know, we're not going to talk about it today because it's not Ravens related. Aaron Donald got broke <laughs> off today, like in ridiculous amounts of money. Credit to him. I, I'm all for players getting paid, but the salary cap, there's ways around it, and like, <laughs> I, I, and it's not going to happen. I'm, I'm fully at the point now where Lamar's going to play out the last year of his deal, and we'll see what happens. But I just. Because of every all the stuff going around it, and Lamar, like I said, I and like you said, uh, I don't doubt his dedication. I don't doubt him actually working out and stuff right now. He's he's a fiery competitor. We all know this, but I'm kind of just like at the same time, like man, get your butt in the building, and we will see. <laughs> you know, we'll be back. We'll be, I'll mention this at the end. We will be back in two weeks' time on the twentieth, uh, and you don't have to listen to me ramble, host. We'll actually have a professional in here as Antonio <laughs> Bandera is back uh, from Italy to host the show. Uh, but we will uh, we'll talk about that more. And, and like Jay said, if he doesn't show up, then there might be a bit of an issue. Uh, two quick notes before we get to the random Raven in the back half of the show here. One, I don't even need a line from you, Jace. Jadavion Clowney's back with the Browns. It's hilarious. <laughs> the dream is dead again. Sorry, Antonio. And then a couple days after we recorded the last podcast. So we record these the night before, obviously. Uh, released on the Tuesday, May 17th. And the May 18th, it was, it was uh, confirmed that a 30 for 30 about the Ravens Super Bowl team from 2000 was announced. Uh, Going to be awesome. I cannot wait for this. Uh, appointment viewing. We might have to fly Jason from L.A. to just watch it all together. Big old house party, all the popcorn, all that stuff. I just want to know because we all know about the team. We don't have to reminisce and do that. You know, if, if Lamar does show up and we have nothing to talk about in two weeks, maybe then we can talk about this. 
What's your sneaky storyline that you're excited for here? Like uh, the one thing that maybe you don't know it yet, but one thing that you think you know about this team that you're excited to hear more about. I think it's just if they have more like behind the scenes footage than we realize. I believe, was it at this reveal or just the celebration? I believe you texted to us the clip of Brian Billick uh, just cussing out the Titans uh, when he, after he demanded the cameras turn off, someone didn't turn theirs off, and he cussed out the Titans after the playoff win. I think just stuff like that, because and we saw a bit of it in the 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 hard knocks that aired in two thousand one. Um, but I would love if there's more footage uh, of that team of Billick. I think specifically, I find him a fascinating coach. The more the more we get removed from the Billick era, I think his accomplishments with the Ravens have kind of been underrated by. I don't want to say the new wave of Ravens fans, but you know, the people who maybe weren't around watching yep. the team in 2003 or whatever. Uh, I, I, cause I, I think him and Harbaugh can't be like more polar opposites in many ways. And it's kind of interesting. Um, if they have a lot of with, with him and those personalities and just behind the scenes stuff, cause that would just be so fantastic. Cause yeah, we know what they did on the field and that's, that's fun too, obviously. But uh yeah just the locker if there's more locker room stories because you know i i'm sure you've watched it many times i know i have the americans game documentaries are great but those Mm -hmm. are you know produced by the nfl there's gonna be you know sugar coating they do uh with parts of the story with the guys they i mean they don't even show them actually cussing they always bleep it out so if 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 30 for 30 goes like all in and the whole thing i think that could be really fun with all like you know, like Goose and uh, Ray and all those guys. And just the, the how many strong personalities they had on that team. So it comes from Tony Lombardi. Uh, I'm not going to put it in here because I don't know about copyright strikes and stuff. So apologies. <laughs> but you can find it on Twitter. And, yeah, it was during the celebrating this this 2000 team. And basically, Billick is screaming at people to turn all the effing cameras off. And nobody, somebody doesn't. They leave their camera on. God bless this person. And basically, Billick does this whole thing about you have to respect an opponent. That was a hard game today. Like, I've never have anything bad to say about a valiant opponent. But F the Titans. And the place <laughs> loses its mind because if you don't know New Wave Ravens fans, the Titans were the Steelers and the Patriots wrapped into one for the early Ravens teams. You know, Eddie George trying to give the – or Eddie George just smack-talking Ray Lewis. And then, you know, Eddie George is not that great. And Ray Lewis stole the ball off him in the playoff game and shushed the entire Nashville crowd and the whole thing. Um, I'm so excited to watch this team. I think kind of what you said, the behind the scenes stuff, I want to see the brashness of this team. You know, the greatest defense of all time and some of the greatest talkers of all time, obviously led by Ray Lewis and Shannon Sharp on the other side of the ball. Uh, But yeah, the, the other man that I'm super excited for outside of Billick, like you mentioned, give me more Tony Saragusa. Uh, just as much Tony Sar- as much non cornball fox Tony Saragusa that you can give me, like playing a hole Tony Saragusa in the middle of that line, I think is going to be awesome. You know, we saw with um, with the uh, Hard Knocks some of the like training camp antics they got up to. Uh, I think is interesting. The America's Game, for as much as the NFL sugarcoat stuff, did do a pretty good job of. The whole the Tennessee Titans definitely stole Trent Dilford's playbook thing, so maybe they get more into that as well. Uh, if you don't know about that, look it up. We don't have time here to tell about it, but it's a very interesting story that maybe you'll hear more about. So I'm very, very excited for that. I think it's going to be uh, just a fantastic series, and it's good to get Baltimore stuff because you know what? Baltimore's the little brother. Uh, 
you know, watch We Own This City. Obviously not a great part of Baltimore's history, but it is fun to get those Baltimore-centric stories because we don't have them enough. Uh, and to have one that isn't about, you know, the, the last 30 for 30 about Baltimore was the, the, <laughs> the Colts leaving. The, and the team band. getting stolen. Yeah. <laughs> the team getting stolen by the Indianapolis Colts and the band staying along. So to have one actually about a team that was the embodiment of this city for a, and basically led to – Baltimore becoming purple and not orange, uh, you know, and thanks, Angelo's dick. Uh, I think that is a massive part as well. So, all right, before we get to the second half, our best case, worst case scenario for particular things about the Ravens, we're going to do the random Raven. I have one here for Jace. I will say it is relatively difficult, but I'm also super confident in Jace to be able to nail this. I have I have no qualms about making this as hard as possible for him. Uh, and Frank, I, th- I think you're going to get it. I don't think it's that that hard. All right, so let's go here. Clue number one. This player came to the Ravens as an undrafted free agent in 2012. Clue number two. This player was a national champion in college. During his college career, he totaled 101 catches for over 1,400 yards and nine touchdowns. He was also a member of the university's track and field team. Shows you what type of player he was. Clue number three. I remember personally, so maybe this is a subjective clue, as being one of those look at this guy training camp players. Even so, he only featured in 13 games across two seasons for the Ravens, starting none. (laughs) Clue number four. This Florida product played for three other teams in his career, including three stints with the Buffalo Bills. Three stints. I'm not even kidding. Three stints. And final clue here. This player wore the same number as some notable Ravens legends. Like Lee Evans, Patrick Johnson, Daniel Wilcox, and Willie Sneed. So, I don't know what your your initial thoughts are here, Jace. I don't have many. Three stints with the Bills. Three stints with the Bills. Another guy that, and admittedly, even if I could give you a bonus clue, I don't think I could find one. Um, but I, I, I saw this guy's name pop up on Twitter, and I was like, oh, yeah, that guy, and just marked him down. So. Well, I have the number. We'll, yeah. we'll go over those guys. I'll good. see if anything comes to mind. I might be stumped on this one. All right. <laughs> well, well, there's only one of you today, so I won't, I won't fault you too much. All right. <laughs> Jason and I were kind of thinking of a topic here. You know, like we said, it's a little bit slower, even though stuff is starting to ramp up. We don't have too much more time uh, for some fun games, what have you. And, and as you know, Jason and I are the negative um, pairing <laughs> of this podcast. And Jace was texting me some ideas, uh, including Ravens player you hated the most uh, for, for this segment. And I decided, you know what, let's try and go a little bit positive with some negative as well. So what we're going to do is we each have compiled a list of we're going to do three each but we've compiled a list of some certain Ravens players maybe Ravens coaches some aspects of the team as well and we're going to go back and forth and and give each other whatever it is and we're going to do realistic best case and worst case scenario for each of us so Jace will give me one I'll give my best case and worst case and then he can retort as well and again we're not trying to be like this guy's going to be MVP or this guy's going to be on the bench. Like we're trying to find some sort of realistic scope here. So Jace, I am going to go first and I'm going to see, I have a lot, I have a lot here. (laughs) And 
<laughs> after the show, after the show, I want, or maybe not after the show, after this segment, I want to just list out, we don't have to go through the whole thing, but list out some of the other things I had. Um, so where am I going to start here? Where am I going to start? Where am I going to start? I'm going to start with an interesting one here. It's not a player. It's not a player. It's not a coach. But it's an aspect of the team that I saw being talked about earlier today that I thought was interesting. I'm just going to give you one word, Jace. Best case and worst case scenario, takeaways. Takeaways for the Ravens defense this season. Best case scenario and worst case scenario. So the best case scenario, let's start positive. They've really invested, right, on this side of the ball. I think you could argue that the entirety of their offseason has been spent uh, largely trying to address this problem. Uh, you draft Kyle Hamilton with your first first-round pick. Uh, you reckon he can make some plays. You sign Marcus Williams, your biggest free a- uh, agent acquisition. Um, you know he can make plays, or at least he did uh, in New Orleans. Um so I think the bet is really those two, the safety positions, and then um, just getting back Marcus Peters, certainly, you hope helps that issue, and Marlon Humphrey. I guess if you want to go, the, the, the negative is they don't improve their takeaways. Uh, Marcus Peters, uh, you know, maybe he doesn't come back fully. Maybe, you know, some of the positional maybe concerns about, or athleticism concerns people had with Kyle Hamilton come to fruition. Uh, we love him. He's been on fire on Twitter this offseason. I, I would say no one's been having a better offseason on Twitter than Marlon Humphrey. Maybe uh, too much fun. <laughs> that yes. cynical old dad yells at Cloud, but. Yeah, when uh, when he tweets things like, best way to tell your girlfriend she's gained weight, that's when I think he's in the danger that's zone. That's a tough one, yeah. <laughs> But uh, um, he wasn't great last season. And you hope he can bounce back with Marcus Peters and these other additions. But what if he doesn't? That's a concern. So I think there's, as much as the Ravens have gone out of their way to address it, I, I there's a path to it not improving. You know, maybe Marcus Williams doesn't mesh. He's had great health. What if they don't? These are the things that keep me up at night, Tim. These fear, these are the fears. This is what I think about. This is why the segment's so good. Uh, um, yeah, I, I am curious what you think, but I definitely can see their, the best laid plans not coming to fruition. It's not that impossible to see. And given this team's pass rush concerns, it's still, it still might be a problem with all the uh, uh, you know uh, uh, ways they've gone about addressing the back end. If you can't rush the passer, it might not matter all that much. Yeah, I, 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 it's one of the things that I I struggle with. And again, you know, we say this all the time. Smarter people than us make these decisions. And I understand the depth of the secondary level, but I'm always a proponent of you got to get to the quarterback because you, you, could have, you could have 11 people in coverage. If the quarterback has eight seconds, seven, eight seconds to throw the ball, he's going to find a guy that's open, especially the elite of the elite, which, by the way, the Ravens play a lot of those guys. Uh, this coming season. So I, I worry about that. For, for my best case, I think you lay it out. I think Marcus Williams slots in immediately. I think Kyle Hamilton isn't really a takeaway machine, but makes an, enough plays as a rookie that you're encouraged by what he does. I think Marcus Peters gets back to his best, and Marlon Humphrey's got that right hook that is just <laughs> bit, hammering into balls again, and people don't realize that he's got you know fruit punch. Um, I think <laughs> Adafi Owe gets some strip sacks as well which is something to note and maybe somebody we'll talk about here in a bit. Um, And I think the Ravens finish top third 
in takeaways, but like, and I'm not doing the math live. Sorry, I'm terrible at math. But like ninth or tenth, you know, or maybe eleventh in takeaways, something like that, where it's it's an encouraging number, but I don't think they're going to be a turnover machine. That being said, turnovers are. Uh, volatile a lot of the time when you look at these stats, so maybe it could be a, a massive flip. The worst case scenario, Hamilton's a bust. There's a reason that he dropped to 14. Um, Marcus Williams, like you said, doesn't bet in. There, there's no pass rush, and frankly, Mike McDonald shows that he, you know, isn't isn't up to snuff at the at the NFL level. Or, or it, this year is a massive adjustment period for him. And the defense really struggles even with all the pieces. And so my worst case is that, sadly, it stagnates and that it's just the same. So that's that's my first one there. Why don't you go with your with your first thing here for best case, worst case? So this one's kind of obvious, but I think he, uh, of all the players on the entire team, uh, swings this the most, I would argue. Um, it's just Ronnie Stanley. Uh, best case... Worst case. Oh, Tip. God. Wow, that threw me for a loop. Yeah. Um, <laughs> best case is by the end of the season, he is back to his best. I don't think we see it immediately. Um, I think, obviously, what is it, two ankle injuries now is what is what it is. Um, there's going to be and, – and what happened last year where they tried to bring him back too early, and frankly, that was, that was a stupid decision by the Ravens. Um, I think they're going to be slower to bring him back. They have some more tackle depth now, not named Alejandro Villanueva. And by week, let's call it eight, Ronnie Stanley looks like that, you know, that dancing bear again with just being able to pass block anybody who comes his way and then is able to maul some dudes uh, as a run blocker. Worst case is simply we've seen the best of Ronnie Stanley and that contract acts like an albatross over this team for the next couple of years especially when they have to pay their quarterback, which is awesome. Um, and he never recovers from being rushed back. He never recovers from the two injuries. And I'd, I'm i not going to say worst case he doesn't like play this year because I don't think that's going to happen unless he gets hurt again, which we're not really accounting for. Worst case could be these guys get hurt for any of these, so I'm going to kind of throw that out the window. Uh, but worst case is he never really recovers from the injury and he becomes – serviceable as a left tackle, but nobody you're writing home about, especially with the money that he's making. That's my fear. My mind went to an even darker place kind of along those lines <laughs> when we were when I was playing out these best case, worst case scenarios in my mind. Because for me, I think the worst case is that basically the Ravens have to draft a left tackle again at some point. Mm. After so many yeah. years, basically it's hard to believe and think back in hindsight, but even the height of the Flacco years like left tackle was just a turnstile, yep. uh, like a revolving door uh, for this team, basically from the minute Jonathan Ogden retired until they drafted Ronnie Stanley. And, you know, I, Stanley had some injury problems uh, prior to 2020 when he suffered that horrific injury, obviously, but he was very good. You know, he's a top 10 pick. The Ravens have only had, what, like five of those in their history, uh, something like that. Or he's top 10 pick. Yeah, uh, he was six overall. But uh, so it, it, these guys don't come around often. And he was very good. He solidified the position. And then we saw in 2019, I think he took a huge step forward. And, you know, at his best, as you said, the best case scenario, he's one of the best pass blockers in the NFL. 
Like his if combination not the, of size, if not yeah, the, his, yeah. his combination of size and fluidity of movement was so impressive for a guy at his height and weight. Um, and that's rare, and that's why he was a top ten pick. Uh, and yeah, I I've sort of resigned myself that he's probably never getting all the way back. But I think the best case scenario is he does manage to obviously to start week one. Um, and, and he plays, even if he's 80% of the old Ronnie Stanley, ideally 90, 95%. He's probably never going to be a, the same guy ever again. With That's a still a that pro bad. bowl tackle though. That's still yeah, a pro bowl. He's still tackle. great. He's a, he's a good NFL, he's a great NFL starter. If he's even 80% of the guy he was. So I hope he gets back to that. Uh, yes. I, as I mentioned, the worst case for me, I, I went down a sad road where I said he, he, he's worse than that. And now they have to not only deal with this contract, but figure out what to do at that position that had been a real kind of bugaboo for the team for a long time. So I hope it doesn't come there. Obviously, if he has issues this year, it further hampers uh, just the Ravens in general on the field in 2021. But I I do think compared to last season, they certainly built a much better contingency plan than they did uh, entering last season. So, um so I, I'm I'm more optimistic uh, in that respect. I, I love that we've gone. I like that we're not going very obvious here because people want to talk about all the obvious stuff. And you say this swing it could swing the season. I'm like, oh, he's going to go Lamar. Let's have the Lamar chat again. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think Ronnie Stanley is an interesting choice. Very quickly here, we don't have to, we don't have to break this down. Your gut feeling: which, which side is he closer to? Is he closer to close to being what he was? By the end of the season, we'll say, not week one. Or is he clo- is he serviceable but an albatross of a contract? I th- I'm le- I'm choosing to be optimistic. I think Love that. he's going to be closer to what he was. He hasn't played a football game since last September. Um, and he played that one game. He's played one game since November 2020. I have to hope he's had enough time to heal. Uh, and, and, and that's the, the belief I have. I, I think these guys have access to just such, you know, incredible doctors and medicine and stuff that I'm choosing to be optimistic. I think, I think he'll, he'll hopefully be closer to what he is. Okay. Or was. I, lo- I love that. I love that. All right. So we went takeaways. We went Ronnie Stanley. I'm up again and I'm going to keep it not obvious here. Um, obviously what a transition. All of the conversation around the passing game has fallen to Rashad Bateman, who is, definitively the number one now and people are like well i don't know and like well he's a first round pick this is what he's this is why he was selected to do this we don't have to have the bateman conversation what i want to know about is devin duvarnay what is the best case and worst case scenario for the man who as of right now as of recording and we're going to release this on tuesday the 7th of june and on the 8th of june they're going to sign julio jones or something which is going (laughs) to completely balls this conversation up but as of right now, Devin Duvarnay, your best case, worst case scenario for the Pro Bowl returner, but on the offensive side of the ball. Yes. So this is, I think, uh, uh, you know, we talked about being negative. I do think this is a more positive best case, worst case kind of across the board. I love personally. it. I love it. Because I think, yeah, best case, he's your number two receiver. He is, in theory, has the speed Hollywood Brown has, uh, roughly, you know. Um, now, I don't know. There's obviously things Hollywood did better, um, I would say. But uh, I there's a lot I like about Duvernay. I like that, you know, he he came in, 
and was willing to embrace a role he didn't really like re- you know return punts at Texas and he became an all pro returner and so that's why I think I'm optimistic on this one across the board is because the worst case is you still have an all pro return man uh, that can you know catch passes here and there but I do think that step is there for him and I think people wanted it to be James Prochet every camp but I think the answer is Devin Duvernay. We, we did see him get in the, in the mix a little more uh, on offense last year, and he had several really nice catches in some games. Uh, and I hope, yeah, he kind of, I mean, this is a, obviously a broader Greg Robin problem because I never thought they utilized Hollywood the best they could in terms of just getting him the ball in open space. But Devin Duvernay is a guy that has that speed that could, you know, be those problems if they get him the ball. In open space. So I am optimistic. I I do I I don't know that he can be a number two. Um I definitely still have concerns about the Ravens receiver room, but if Bateman takes a step up, I, I think, you know, reps help. Uh he'll certainly get Hollywood's reps, I would guess. Uh just I don't know who else would take them. <laughs> so uh yeah, so I'm I'm optimistic in that respect as well. Okay, what's your worst case though? Cuz we got to go we got to go both well, sides of the spectrum. Yeah, so the wor- I mentioned it a little bit, but the worst case is he he's what he was last year, which is still an all-pro returner. I think that's still a skill he's going to have and I think there's value to having a player like that on your team. You you want more offense out of him certainly, I think, but um you know, if he gets his what do you have like three or four touchdowns, a uh, handful of catches, 30, 30 or 40 catches. If, if he's able to do that again, that's not the worst thing in the world for what was, what, like a third or fourth round pick? Yeah, third round pick. Um, yeah, he had 33 catches last year, two touchdowns. So could that be better? Sure. But I'm not going to be totally upset that the guy, you know, that led in punt return yardage and had – has had some nice kick return numbers too uh, over the years. If uh, you know, if, if if that's kind of just his niche, that's that's okay. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, for me, I think so much of this falls on Greg Roman, which is just a conversation that we're going to have over and over <laughs> and over again. The man who everybody says has passing concepts of a four-year-old, so that's always fun. Um, for best case scenario, legitimately, I think Devin Duvernay has the ability to make. Ravens fans and especially Lamar Jackson forget about Hollywood Brown. I think he could be that good. Um, never forget when the Ravens, including John Harbaugh and Ravens front office, were shown like fist pumping that they got Duvarnay <laughs> in the third round. I think there's something to be said for that. Maybe I'm putting a little too much stock in it. I think he can become a guy who is a blow the top off the defense guy, a guy that they could use in a, I won't say Debo Samuel role because that's different. That's more running back, but jet sweeps and trick plays and things. Get him out in space. This all relies on Greg Roman, by the way, <laughs> but get him out in space to get him on one-on-one matches with defenders that he's simply faster than. I think he can be a really good, you know, gadget has a negative connotation, but gadget guy for the Ravens offense, as well as a dude who, Blows the top off the defense. Isaiah Likely, who is a big uh, big tight end who has that big playability too, kind of threading thread the seam as well, leaving that whole middle of the field for the likes of Mark Andrews, for the likes of Rashad Bateman, for the likes of the other tight end who I'm pulling up right now who I can't Char- – Charlie Kohler. Charlie Kohler. Charlie Kohler. <laughs> thank you. Just the most white tight end name of all time. Uh, he went to Iowa State. <laughs> of course he did. I, I think that there is real potential for that. I think – we don't have to go on it too long, Jace. I think worst case scenario is he just who he is. And that's 
not bad, but, you know, frankly, I think it's going to end up somewhere in the middle, and I think it's going to end up closer to the everybody forgets Hollywood side. I, I'm high <laughs> on Duvernay. I, I still think they need to add, obviously, like most people do in that receiver room. But I think he can be a real factor for this team, and we'll just have to see what happens. All right, your takeaways, Ronnie Stanley and Devin Duvernay right now. Your number two, best case, worst case. So there's two guys here, but one in particular that certainly catches my eye. And his name is J.K. Dobbins. Uh, When we last saw him, he was getting stretchered off the awful field, that FedEx field. Uh, uh, And it hurt. And then a few days later, Gus Edwards went down and Justice Hill was out. But the reason, you know, I don't know about you. I am less concerned about Gus for some reason ability to come back, which is why I circle back to best case, worst case for J.K. Dobbins this season. But I'm curious what you think. Uh, First of all, I had to look it up. I'm glad we're playing the Commanders now at home this season in the preseason. We seem to always play them in preseason. Let's just play them at home every time. Uh, Nobody should ever (laughs) play on their field. It's a hazard, especially in preseason. You move down to Woodbridge already. <laughs> yeah, right. Just get get down to that place where no fans are. Uh, no, I shouldn't say no fans, but not many fans. Best case scenario. Screw it. Pro Bowl alternate. So not, you know, not one of the, not the Jonathan Taylors or the Derrick Henrys of the AFC, but back to a, you know, Warren Sharp and, um, you know, this sounds like an insult, but I'm really not meaning to. The smarter-than-thou football guys are like, you know who's really playing well this season? It's J.K. Dobbins. I, We've seen the ability, the the hype train that we had for, for J.K. Dobbins coming into year two was absolutely insane because of what we saw in his rookie year in limited time, as we mentioned a number of times with his uh, agent liking tweets about him not getting the ball enough and all that stupid crap. Uh, we saw that because he was so, so good and explosive uh, with that team in his rookie season. If if the end, if the rehab is good, I think he comes back to that. I don't think this is nearly as much of a wide margin as my Devin DuVernay take. I think – I'm not even – look, if he doesn't come back for the injury, he doesn't come back for the injury. But I think even if he comes back at let's, – let's be relatively realistic here. He comes back, but he's only 85% of what he was – Still reliable part of a three-headed monster with the Baltimore Ravens uh, running game. I'm very high on J.K. Dobbins. I think he is, you know, by the end of the season, we could see him being like, oh, my God, this dude is unstoppable in the backfield for the Ravens. I was so sad for him last year. I mean, you you hurt for every guy that gets hurt, obviously. But I think his hurt, besides, obviously, Lamar getting hurt and effectively ending the season, right? When he got hurt, they didn't win again. But uh, when J.K. went down, it just hurt so much because he, that first year, Tim, 805 yards, nine touchdowns, six yards per carry average. Like, we just talked. The, the... the explosiveness was so crazy, and that's that's my worst case is it's not fully back yet, because I I I was of the mind that once they let Mark Ingram go, they were gonna it was gonna be a two headed monster instead of a three headed monster for the Ravens in in twenty twenty one, and just that we didn't get to see it. He was gonna get the ball a lot. I feel 
and I thought he was going to just have a monster year. So you worry about the explosiveness because his ability to get to the edge was just uh, was so crazy. And I, I, I don't, I think something we never had really seen from a Ravens running back before. Um, that's why I think I'm less worried about Gus because he's he's just rumbling up the middle for his four and a half yards. Um, so I, I do worry about the explosiveness, but optimistically, uh, my best case is pretty much what you said. I think he could be a Pro Bowl level player, um, especially if the line's better this year, we hope. Tyler oh, Linderbaum God. in the middle. Um, and, you know, he, he can compete for that. He can maybe, you know, go over a thousand yards, I would think. And I think what leaves me optimistic is, A, where ACL reconstruction technology is these days. It seems like an injury almost everyone actually successfully comes back from. And that we see that this literally happened before. Jamal Lewis tears his ACL going into his second season. And he came back uh, and had a great 2002 and had one of the best seasons a running back's ever had in 2003. He was able to recover. Um, and you just hope JK uh, similarly in an era where... I would say you're probably getting a little less pounding than you were then when they were giving the Jamal the ball 400 times a yeah, year <laughs> um, and coming off an ACL tear 20 years ago. So um, I'm more optimistic for that. Um, but I do think it just, I wanted to mention him just because I think he's so important to what the Ravens do and want to do this season. And I think we saw just last season what not having uh, both of those guys because I thought Gus was going to have a huge year once JK went down and then of course he got hurt too but uh just not having those guys just when the running game you know cratered effectively outside of Lamar it got tough it got tough for the last two months there and you know they need they need healthy running backs <laughs> so so that's where my pessimism I guess comes in but I am on the whole another one I'm more optimistic on uh, I think than even Ronnie Stanley, perhaps. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you there. All right, so I have one more, and at the end, I'm going to quickly list off the other people that I have here because I made a list of way too many. Um, <laughs> yeah, I have like four other names. <laughs> you know what? I'll just I'll do it here because we are we are running a little bit long here on time. I have Kyle Hamilton, but we talked about takeaways already. Uh, same with Adafi Owe. The, more of a conversation about sacks. I had him there as well. Um, I had the rookie tight ends. Just that's that's a very niche pick, but you know I, maybe we'll talk about them a little bit later. Jay, uh, this is the podcast. This is the space to do it. Yeah, Pod like a raven. <laughs> I know. Jace, Jace, we'll talk about the rookie tight ends more as we get into our camp. Um, I had Lamar Jackson and I had Greg Roman. I can't talk about Greg Roman. Um, <laughs> it's I just an aside. Yeah, I am worried about that. Like the more we get closer. And here, uh, can I just share two guys that made my list Go that tie directly to uh, Greg Roman? His name is John Harbaugh, uh, and his uh, inability to change, uh, I think, is uh, well. It's weird because John Harbaugh's obviously changed, but he also likes his guys. Um, and I thought it was a bold move to get rid of Wink, Market, uh, Wink Martindale, but to not do the full sweep when I think it's been the offense that we've seen clearly in the playoffs, certainly the last three seasons or two seasons, um, they were 2019, 2020 playoffs, uh, where the, the offense just wasn't good enough, and especially against Buffalo, you know, you hold them to 17 points and you don't, you score three. So like, what are we doing here? Um, it, it, I, I worry that keeping Roman, if we just get the same thing, 
doesn't end up costing John Harbaugh's job if this season goes south. I think that's a worst case scenario. Mm. I mean, I don't know that change is the worst thing. It's a big picture thing. Uh, it's not. I. It's hard. It's harder to do best case worst case with that. The other guy I just jotted down was Eric DaCosta. We talked about his mm. drafts needing to hit. Uh, I think this season's critical because if you look at the trajectory of the Ravens, he inherited a good team. He made a few nice moves, uh, but the team's record's gotten worse every year he's been the general manager. And um, you got to stem the tide. This is the season to do it. Um, you know, you go from 14 wins to 11 wins to eight wins. Uh, you got to get back over double digits, I think, this year. So I think it's a weirdly critical season for both of them. So they were two guys that actually made my lists of sort of best case worst case yeah. trajectory of the franchise it's funny you say that like i don't i don't think it's weirdly a big year the way you just laid it out there worse every year under DaCosta's reign this is a big year and this is a year for the devin duvarnays and the jk dobbinses these guys to start making an impact and you can blame injuries and that's fine but at some point man like you got to put up or shut up and look quickly and i'm half joking when i say this but i almost feel like best case at this point for greg roman who says he's says he's doesn't listen to the critics and whatever is he gets fired like Cam Cameron did and they go into go and win the Super Bowl in week twelve yeah. after week twelve or whatever it was like I, I sadly I think that's what it's come to and that's why I'm I'm when we did we did our uh, when you weren't here because you're lazy we did our schedule I'm kidding we did our uh, schedule breakdown and I was not nearly as optimistic as Antonio which doesn't sound abnormal but I was just like I just. I know there's going to be some games where this offense just can't get it going because Roman refuses to change anything. But anyway, all right. So I have two more here. I'm not going to do Jordan Stout because I wanted to do Jordan Stout. But we talk- I jotted him down too. <laughs> we talked about Sam Cook a little bit, but I'm going to leave him there. My final guy that I have on my list here, my final pick here uh, for the first of our final two, is a man, another man that needs to show up in the Eric DaCosta drafts. It is LSU linebacker Patrick Queen. Best. That was my last choice. All right, well, well then let's do, let's do this then. We'll just we'll, we'll end it here. We'll end it here. We've done five. I think that's fine. Jace, best case, worst case for Patrick Queen? So, best case, he takes the leap, right? And there's been – I this might be a Ravens Twitter-specific thing. or nah, I think every fan base does this. There's been a lot of talking of Patrick Queen this year. Talking about how his off-seasons haven't been normal since he got We saw that last preseason, too. We saw the same thing. <laughs> how he's recognizing plays at a ridiculous level. Yeah, so, so I don't know what to make of all that. But the best case is, you know, he he, he does take those leaps in game, you know, film study, game recognition, instinctual ability, I guess you would call it. Uh, ability to read and react live on the field. Um because the athleticism is certainly there. You hope he gets a little stronger, I think, maybe a little more sure-handed at tackling. And the best-case scenario is he he is the middle linebacker that they've been looking for. Uh, I love Josh Bynes. Josh Bynes can't be the answer. Um, just long-term for this team. Uh, you know, he's mid early, mid-30s. Uh, they can't keep bringing back Josh Bynes every time there's a problem. They need, they need a younger guy to kind of to kind of seize the job and, and be, you know... We've talked about it a lot of times. Be the leader CJ Mosley was uh, for this team. I think Mosley is one of the most underrated players in Ravens history because he left after five years. And I don't fault him. Again, he had to take the money. The Jets gave him so much of it. Uh, but they've, they, they, uh, Queen hasn't been the answer so far. But I think the best case scenario is he is. 
Um, but I'm also, the reason I draw the queen down is I, I think this is actually an optimistic best case, worst case. Because I think the worst case is he's still a good, fine, uh, NFL quality, you know, weak side linebacker. Uh, and you still need those. And do we want more out of him to be the middle linebacker when they drafted him? Sure. Uh, do we want him to wear a number that's not number six? Sure. Um, oh, 48 but... and six. Like, just... <laughs> We, we should have known, Jace. <laughs> yeah, poor choice of numbers. But uh, that aside, um, I, I think his worst case is just being more of the player he is, which I think is a good in spots. You know, he's one of like three players who played every game for the Ravens last year on the defensive side. So um, I, I don't think it's awful if he doesn't take the leap. It'd be great. But, but I think you're still okay. You're just lo- still looking for your middle linebacker long-term. But I think he's still a quality piece. Now, maybe he's a quality piece you don't pick up his fifth-year option for. But, I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think it's awful if he doesn't get become that guy. But I'm curious what you think. I'm way lower. Um, oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. My best-case scenario is that he is a good weak side linebacker where he is currently <laughs> slotted to play right now. A uh, good weak side guy where he ended up playing most of the season last year because they just figured he couldn't handle the responsibilities at the middle linebacker role. Weak side still in the middle, but they play, sounds dumb, on the weak side of the plays, so maybe not everything's coming their way. Josh Bynes deals with more of the blockers as that middle linebacker, bigger guy, what have you. Uh, I think he becomes a really good weak side linebacker for this team that gets better in coverage because as a smaller guy, he's supposed to be good in coverage. And frankly, he really hasn't been. He really improves his coverage skills and his recognition ability. And they still don't pick up the fourth year option on him because you're not going to pay a weak side linebacker that money. Um, I, I don't think he is the answer at middle linebacker at all. Um, you know, maybe it's because we have high expectations for that position. Uh, obviously with Ray Lewis and CJ Mosley, as you mentioned, um, and worst case scenario for me is that he, by the end of the season, he is he is not in the starting lineup and he is a rotational piece at best. And they're either just going to keep him for the four years and have him as a piece there, or they're looking to maybe, as, as Eric DaCosta loves to do, trade a guy who some other guy, but some other team might think has value, you know, hey, Cardinals. You want another <laughs> former first round pick that didn't work you keep, out? Keep drafting first round linebackers. Yeah. What about try this one? Right, try this one. Um, I tend to I tend to to end positive here. I tend to think that he is going to be closer to the guy that figures it out as a will, as the weak side linebacker. Um, I don't think he's going to be you know incredible or anything, but I think he, I think that's a miss. Frankly, I think it's a miss. I still think he can be a good player, but overall, even best-case scenario, I think that's a miss of a draft pick. So those are our five best-case, worst-case scenario. Again, takeaways. I started with not even a player. Uh, <laughs> Ronnie Stanley, Devin DuVarnay, J.K. Dobbins, and Patrick Queen. Jace, before we wrap this thing up, any final thoughts on any anything that we might have missed from best-case, worst-case, anything that we talked about earlier in the show as well, anything you got for us? We covered, uh, I just jotted down, I don't think I said it, but Marcus Peters, Marlon Humphrey, their bounce back seasons we kind of talked about in takeaways. And then, yeah, just to just touch on Jordan Stout for a second. 
It will be interesting with Cook still in the organization. If he shows any struggles in preseason, you know this is going to be a bring Sam back on Twitter. And Hashtag bring Sam back. I'll lead the charge. <laughs> I like, I, you know, I, I'm optimistic in that Stout will be good because the, the history of drafting punters is relatively strong. Usually these guys, if they're getting drafted, are good enough, you know, to be drafted. And I, I trust, you know, the Ravens more than most. I, I feel like they know what, exactly what they're looking for. So I'm not really concerned, but I do worry for a rookie's confidence if he has one bad punt in a preseason game. The fans will be clamoring for the old guy who, you know, is beloved in this town. Uh, so so that's my only thing on Stout. But uh, yeah, um, I think it's, I liked our list. I think they're, you know, we touched on, I think, all the critical uh, pieces and... Yeah, let's have Lamar Jackson uh, show up to OTAs and just them announce that he signed, like, I don't know, like a seven-year, $350 million fully guaranteed contract. That's fine. I'll take it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, not going to happen. And, uh, yeah, let's just stop talking about it forever. That's my goal. <laughs> I wish. Uh, I think we're going to be talking about it all season long, and then, God willing, it'll be signed next season. But uh, I'll, end, I'll end on this. As we record, tweeted at 8-11 Eastern time from one – Man that we mentioned having a great offseason, that's Marlon Humphrey. Quote, <laughs> I want to have a conversation with y'all, but y'all going to hate on my take and miss the point. I'm gonna I'm <laughs> no. just gonna say this, Marlon. Don't tweet the next thing. I don't know yeah, if just, it's gonna happen. Just let's just leave don't it. Don't follow there. up. Yeah, right. No follow-ups <laughs> there. That's that's my final point on this episode. Well, Jace, thank you so much for dealing with me in the hosting role. Antonio will be back so your ears aren't bleeding in two weeks. We're gonna be back. Uh, hopefully on our two-week rotation schedule. Obviously today, as we record, is the 6th. Uh, this episode releasing on the 7th. Next episode will release June 21st. From there, we'll be going two weeks until we ramp up to the preseason. And finally, before we wrap, of course I couldn't forget the Random Raven. I would never forget the Random Raven. There's no way I would forget the Random Raven. I was trying to spare Jace because I knew he would have forgot it. Here yeah. is my Random Raven as we wrap. Thank you, Jason. I got I to gotta know who it is. No. All right, fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. It, it, behind the scenes, Jason, our Zoom chat was like, wait a minute. All right, here we go. We'll wrap it with this. Sorry. Clue number one. I was just so – I was so ready to do the teases that we'll be back in two weeks, the sign-off, and I got all screwed up in my head. This is why Antonio hosts. Shout out Bandera. Clue number one. This player came to the Ravens as an undrafted free agent in 2012. Clue number two. This player was a national champion. He, and during his college career, he totaled 101 catches for over 1,400 yards and nine touchdowns. They sound like Rashad Bateman numbers to me. He was also a member of his university's track and field team. Clue number three, subjectively, I remember this player being one of those look-at-this-guy training camp players. Even so, he only featured in 13 games across two seasons for the Ravens, starting none. This Florida product played for three other teams in his career, including three stints with the Buffalo Bills. Clue number five, this player wore the same number as some notable Ravens legends. Lee Evans, Patrick Johnson, Daniel Wilcox, and Willis Sneed. So, Jace Evans, any final attempt here at who you think this random Raven could be before we say goodbye? So, until you got to the number... And I don't, I didn't remember him on the Bills, but Cyrus Jones kept popping in my head. I know he played for the Ravens at some point. I don't know if he's been a random Raven, but the number is eighty-three, so it couldn't have been him. Um, I am just drawing absolute blanks. I, 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 I mean, the Bills, Lee Evans, like that threw me off. It's not him. Uh, I'm like, 
I was like, Percy Harvin was on those Florida teams, but I don't think he was ever on the Ravens, so that threw me off as well. So, yeah, I got nothing. I assume he's like a special teams blocking tight end I've just completely forgotten about. But, uh... So, um, so no, uh, he no. is he is a speedster receiver. Right. That uh, career, he totaled out in his NFL career, actually, with 94 receptions for 1,193 yards and... 2,179 return yards. He did okay. do some returning. Oh, my God. What is this guy's name? It is Deontay Thompson out of Deontay Florida. Deontay Thompson. Deontay Thompson. Yes. This name popped wow. up on Twitter, and I went, this is the most random of random Ravens. That is a deep cut. That is this, is the level deep cut. <laughs> this is the level of random Ravens we're getting to. I mean. I like barely remember that guy. <laughs> look, I, I'm not going to tell Antonio how to host, but we're going to have to find a new game soon because we don't have a lot of guys <laughs> yeah, left. Three and a half years of doing this. We're, we're yeah, three years. We're getting we're, close. We're getting close. We're running, we're running low. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, on that note, I'm actually going to wrap the show this time. I think I got everything covered again. We'll be back June 21st to definitely talk about Lamar Jackson definitely being at the at the building, definitely at the castle. Everything's fine. He signed his new deal. Probably not that part, but you know. For Antonio Bandera and Barbera, Jay Evans, I am Tim Horsey signing off for this week on Pod Like a Ray. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.